There are uh, two places on my drive between home and here, between where I live in Conshohocken and arriving at Wellsprings, two places in which I am most likely to have an accident. And what is in common between those two places is this. I don't have any scientific evidence to prove that people don't observe yield signs less than they used to, but my experience tells me that is true. When I get on to 76 going west, just west of the 476 interchange, I don't have a yield sign. The other ramp does. When I come on Pikeland Road from off of Route 29, the exit off of the turnpike, there is this beautiful little almost maybe one and a half lane bridge. So picturesque, just like a representation of Chester County on a postcard. We are coming here. I do not have the yield sign, but the opposing way does. And, again, without any proof to back this up whatsoever, both those places I have to be really careful because I cannot count upon the person with the yield sign on the other side. I'm not a perfect driver, I admit it, but I know what the yield is for, and I do yield when it is my turn. So why is it that people don't, at least in these two places, don't regularly observe the yield sign? I don't know. I know what it makes me think of is this sense of uh, the signs all around us, and yet we don't see it. Um, any of you remember Clerks? Early 90s, Gen X touchstone here. Absolutely filthy, absolutely amazingly funny. Still Kevin Smith's best movie, in my opinion. And um, it's about these two uh, not terribly happy uh, guys who work in stores that are uh, joining right next to each other. One in a convenience store, the other in a video store back when they used to have such things. And they're not really enamored of the people who come and consume and shop in their stores. They think they're really stupid, actually. And so they like to tell stories about how the consumers don't get it regularly. And so there's this one moment I'm remembering where um, someone comes into the store and says, do you have any new videos? And right in back of her, pointing with signs all over the place, new videos right here. So sometimes people just don't see what is right there in front of their eyes, apparently. And sometimes, um, I think it might be a little bit more than that. Sometimes people don't want to see, choose not. A friend of mine who I see about once a year, I saw him this past weekend on my annual mancation with my buddies who I've known for about the last 25 years. Uh, he is a wonderful, loving, kind parent, raising thoughtful kids. And he has remained the sarcastic 22-year-old that I first met him as. And he brings this into his parenting. And so his 8-year-old, 9-year-old son one day asked him in the car, Dad, why aren't the other drivers observing that, that yield sign? Aren't they supposed to stop when they see us coming? He said, Son, if you yield, how will you ever learn to establish dominance? He was joking, obviously, um, but I think that's part of what's going on, that maybe power is so contested in our society right now that the littlest sign that we're willing to give an inch is somehow an expression, especially for men, guys, let's be honest about this, that somehow we're like, you know, not being as powerful as we should be. I saw this recently, by the way, on that one lane, one and a half lane, little picturesque Chester County bridge on the way here four to six weeks ago. 
I was coming my direction. I did not have the yield sign on the other side where the guy had the yield sign. I was there first. And even if I wasn't, they were supposed to yield. But I could see, or at least judge, that they were not going to stop. And I drive this small car, so I took the car all the way over to the right side within about an inch of that wall, and I slowed down. And without cursing, without screaming, but with a little bit of energy behind it, I did that thing, you know, look, the yield sign. And, and they slowed down, too, just long enough to give me the finger, <laughs> which is a sign, right? <laughs> it's a form of telling me what they were thinking. Ah, good times, good times. I have a feeling that before that person arrived at the bridge today, they were already pre-angry. You know that pre-angry? I imagine we've had that experience as well, too, where we show up someplace and something happens and just sets us off because we were ready to kind of get our froth on. So I want to talk about signs and symbols today um, because it's a big part of spirituality and a big part of religious traditions. And uh, the truth is, from my perspective, it's too much a part of religions and spiritual traditions, or at the very least, too much time is spent analyzing what are the right signs, what are the right symbols. And I don't think it leads us to skillful places. I think it leads us into conversations like, my God is bigger than your God, or my teacher, my guru sees more of the esoteric hidden knowledge than yours does. And I don't think those are helpful conversations. I don't think they wind us up in very kind places. I think they're fruitless. Uh, do love stories from within various spiritual traditions that kind of poke fun at this a little bit, this tendency to want to overread the signs, overread the symbols. Maybe some of you know this story. I think I probably told it here before. It's one of my favorites that uh, a guy is, is um, recognizing a flood is coming into his town and he hops up on the roof of his house to try and take shelter there. And the floodwaters are trying to start to come up to like the, the level of the first windows of his house. And... Someone comes along in a rowboat and says, hop on and take you to safety. And the guy says, no, I am waiting for a sign. I am waiting for a sign from God that will bring me to safety. Goes away in the rowboat. Water continues to rise all the way up now to the roof line. Water is a torrent. Person in a powerboat comes by. Hop on, I'll take you to safety. Nope. I'm waiting for a sign. Water continues to rise. Now it's up to the guy's chest. Things are really getting sketchy. Helicopter appears overhead, drops a ladder down. Climb aboard, we'll take you to safety. No, I am waiting for a sign from God that I will be safe. Helicopter flies off, waters rise, guy drowns, goes to heaven, pearly gates, yada, 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 you know the whole image, meets God. Disappointed. Very disappointed. I am in you, God. I was supposed to get a sign. And God says, you idiot, didn't you get the boats and the helicopter that I sent? <laughs> Which is to say, sometimes when we've got this preconceived notion about what we're looking for, we'll miss what is right at the end of our nose. That's one of my favorite George Orwell quotes, that to see the truth is, is to have this capacity to see what is right at the edge of our nose. And that's a practice. That's a, that's a discipline. That's a way of looking at the world in which we don't look past the world. We're looking with and at the world in an honest and open way. 
I don't spend a lot of time either wanting to disprove signs or symbols in a spiritual way or spend a lot of energy wanting to prove their veracity, their truth. I just don't think it gets us very far. And besides, you know, if most of us are honest with ourselves, we'll see that as human beings, we are much better at rationalizing than we are at being rational. What the sociologist would say is, you know, we all have this capacity for confirmation bias, for seeing the facts, the stories, the symbols of our lives, and merging them into a narrative that we already believe or that already works from us. Uh, Paul Simon put it this way, we hear what we want to hear and we disregard the rest. When we do that, we get lost in the story of what we think is supposed to happen rather than paying attention to what actually is happening, kind of like the flood guy. And so one of the kind of tests, if you will, acid tests that I bring to all stories about signs or symbols or orientation. And by the way, I'm going to tell you a story later on in this message about an experience, uh, a sign experience that pointed to something very deep and something true within my experience. So I don't want to dismiss them entirely. It's just that I want to kind of bring a deeper kind of helpful skepticism to them. So you all know uh, Amazing Grace, right? Probably the most famous hymn in the Western world. You know how that story arose? Many of you do. You don't? Okay, I'll tell you. Well, a guy named John Newton, who was in the 1700s trafficking in the bodies of other human beings. He was a slave trader. And he found himself in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with a great storm coming upon the boat, the ship that he was sailing. And it woke him up. Woke him up, got him to pay attention somehow that what he was doing was not right. And the story as it goes, as it's sometimes conveyed, is that he turned the ship around and he quit being a slave trader and became an abolitionist. PolitiFact would call this 50% pants on fire. (laughs) It's not exactly what happened. I mean, he did in time, but it took like five, ten years for him to become an abolitionist. The story is that the amazing grace woke him up to the evil that he was complicit in, and he no longer did it. That's one reading of the story. Another reading of the story, knowing that something real happened for him, something that did turn his life around eventually, is that he maybe had this moment of, oh, damn, I could die. And is this what I want to die doing? And eventually that helped him pay attention. This is the acid test that I bring to any stories about signs or symbols. Does the experience help us wake up, especially to those things that we are not likely to see? Because of our power, our prestige, our position, that somehow we are likely to miss because of our own inability to not want to see what we don't want to see. And do we pay attention in such a way that it helps connect us? That, for me, is the ultimate value of what any sign story really means. This is to wake us up to life and to the difficulties and challenges of our lives, especially other people's lives. And get us not to kind of do that thing where we add interpretations to what happens. One of my favorite stories is from a woman named Sylvia Borstein, who's kind of the Jewish grandmother of the American mindfulness uh, movement. And she talks about wanting to go to meditation at the Spirit Rock Meditation Center in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And she keeps calling and she keeps calling and she keeps calling. 
and she doesn't get through to the person who's leading the retreat. And she says after like the fourth or fifth time of this, maybe this is a sign that I'm not intended to attend this retreat. And the other person on the other end of the phone without missing a beat says, maybe it's a sign that the person you're trying to call is not here. (laughs) Bringing that sense of simplicity that this is what's happening. And there can be a whole different range of interpretations, but maybe not going with the most esoteric or complex one, because I think that's when, quote unquote, spirituality really goes off the rails for so many people, is when it's about the hidden knowledge. It's about the best or the final interpretation rather than most awake and aware interpretation. Too often spirituality gets wrapped up in omniscience. I can know all the things, or my tradition knows all the things, or omnipotence. I can control anything, or my tradition can teach me how to control anything. These wind us up in those really unskillful conversations, really fruitless conversations of my God is bigger than your God, my guru, my teacher is better than yours. I don't have much use for omniscience or omnipotence. But there is an omni-word that I think is very powerful. Omnipresence. What allows us to be here as in touch as we can be with our lives. This is what my friend was joking to his eight-year-old son about. That dominance, that was a joke about the fruitlessness of omnipotence. But paying attention to the actual signs that are in front of us, that's a way to practice omnipresence. Not to have power over or power to dominate, which we see more than enough of in our politics, in our culture, in our churches, but how to practice that power with, that power that connects us to each other. And it also helps us to shift, in, I believe, a way that is incredibly powerful for spiritual deepening and maturity and development, which is asking less the question, am I seeing the signs? Am I seeing a sign that will make it all clear? Less about seeing the sign and more about being a sign our very lives. Our tradition doesn't tell us we have all the answers. Our tradition invites us day after day after day to cultivate our spiritual character. And so this is a question we can all ask ourselves. Is my life, is your life, a sign for the values that rest upon my heart? For love, for justice, for wisdom, for compassion. Are these signs that I am giving expression to through my very being alive? Because, you know, It's not anything abstract. Our bodies sometimes are our most profound signs that we know for the values that we hold and the experiences that happen to us. A friend of mine, a dear colleague, gave me permission to share this story with you. He grew up in a... Let's just say it honestly. He grew up in a dysfunctional family. He grew up in a family in which when he was, I want to say, six or seven years old, his dad asked him one time after his parents had already gotten divorced, who do you want to live with? And that day, not knowing that this was going to be a weighty conversation or a weighty choice, he said, I want to live with mom. Dad said, okay, and he never saw his father again. Now, This is a traumatic thing, obviously. And my friend responded to that moment by being the best, the kindest, the nicest, the least making waves person they could ever be, which is to say he was the worst people pleaser in the world. I know it because I am can be that way as well, too. 
until he got to his first week in seminary and he was in his first pastoral counseling class and they were talking about marriage and family counseling and the teacher started to talk about family dysfunction and my friend felt a wave of nausea in his body that absolutely paralyzed him. It was all he could do to make one foot follow in front of the other and to bring himself back to his room and he laid down and felt almost catatonic and he had no clue what was happening. Fortunately, a dedicated, devoted friend of his knocked on the door and asked, are you okay? And this is a person who actually was a therapist already and encouraged him to see that maybe his body had been holding for decades the wounds of his own heart of what it was like to be rejected by his father. That was the beginning of my friend healing. Paying attention to the signs and the symbols of his own body and what it was trying to tell him. Our bodies are always giving off messages, right? I remember the first uh, teacher I ever had about uh, body language. It was like a psychology course at the Hill School back in 1987. And it was like just the most hackneyed way to approach body language for the first time. It was like, if a person does this, this is what it means. If a person is like this, then they are feeling very defensive. This is not a skillful way to have conversations with other people. Sometimes they're like, because people are cold, right? And by the way, if you are with someone who is holding, and by the way, I just saw a whole bunch of you shift if you're holding your bodies like this, and some of you started to go like this. Bodies are interesting things. Sometimes people, in fact, do hold themselves like this because they have been wounded and because they are hurt. Pointing it out to someone is one of the least helpful things you can do. <laughs> Pointing out to someone who is feeling defensive your defensive is likely to only make them more defensive. In this space between us, this listening space between us, bringing a sense of curiosity is so often grounded in being willing to listen to what's happening within us. In fact, the best listeners I know are people who cultivate that capacity to listen to their own lives very deeply. Because they know how to do this, they open very naturally to the lives around them. They open to that space upon which all mindful communication rests, which is the space between intention and impact. I don't know if any of you ever heard that before. It's one of my favorite teachings. That we all have intentions. We have intentions to be kind. Maybe we have intentions to wound. Intentions that bring us into our relationships with each other. But the fact that we have an intention to do something doesn't mean it's going to land with the other person or the people that we're talking to in the way that we would hope. And that's the moment at which we become curious about the impact that it's making on other people. If we can do this, open to the space between the intention and between the impact, we will notice what we are receiving and what we're sending. And we'll notice what we are sending and what we are receiving. And we will find that deeper sense of power with, of cooperation with this life. 
So throughout this message series on communication and bringing deeper intention and deeper awareness to our listening, to our speaking, Reverend Lee and I have uh, invited us, all of us, to bring some practices both within our messages and beyond our messages as we go out into the rest of our lives because one of our core values here at Wellsprings is about everyday spirituality and recognizing that there is nothing so small that it cannot bear the imprint of a deeper awakening. And so I want to invite you this week to participate in a way of mindful communication with something that I imagine almost all of you, maybe not all of you, but I'd say 90 plus percent of you are going to be able to do this week. Use your blinker. (laughs) Use, because that's what it is. That's mindful communication, right? Don't say, eh, you know, they know what I'm going to do. Other people are not mind readers and neither are you. None of us are. So how can you use that cue, that prompt of that blinker to allow yourself to be findable, to practice omnipresence, even if no one's around. Actually, when you're leaving here today, there's this, for some reason, stop sign <laughs> when you drive out of that main road. And there's, when I leave here most of the time, there's no one there. And I feel like that's a moment in which I can be mindful or I can just say, eh, no one's here. Most often, nothing's going to happen bad if I blow through it. But it's an opportunity to practice. So see what it's like this coming week when you are turning and to use that as an expression of your capacity to want to be seen and to allow yourself to be seen and to check in. Am I living my life in such a way that I'm really present? Use it as an opportunity to check in knowing that there are always opportunities around us, not to have to look for the signs, but to be a sign, to know that we are swimming in a sea of meaning and being alive. And so I want to tell you about that experience I had, in which a sign really did offer me some deep comfort. Some of you, well, at least those of you who are on Facebook, might know that I had a birthday this last Thursday, and I turned 47. And for me, this 47th birthday had a certain kind of weight and energy associated with it. Because 47 is as old as my mother ever got. Now, when she died 25 years ago, suddenly, unexpectedly, and painfully, um, I got to say, when I was 22, 47 seemed old. It does not feel very old anymore. (laughs) Not at all. And I'm not buying into numerology or any of that. It's just that being the age right now that my mom was able to reach and know more just kind of wakes me up to the fact that, again, I knew this already and I felt this already, but it's a deeper way of feeling it. None of us is here forever, and she wasn't. Her death was traumatic for me. And for the first couple of years after her death, I really wasn't able to process barely any of my feelings. I was fairly traumatized, and I wasn't really awake to what was going on inside of me. And a couple years after that, things started to shift and change. And this is one of those places where, as it said, you know, the the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. It made me miserable. I was having a terrible time sleeping, and I had a lot of insomnia. And so one night, it was April 10th, my mom's birthday. 
I don't think I was even aware that it was her birthday. I was up at 2.30 in the morning. And any of you remember Murphy Brown? Yeah. So there was an episode of Murphy Brown on it in which Murphy was processing the fact that her mother had just died. Because the actress who played Murphy Brown's mom had died in real life. And so these things came into the apartment and where I was living in New York City at the time. On my mom's birthday, someone else processing their dead mother who had died in real life. Colleen Dewhurst was the actress. And I felt this profound sense of comfort and connection. That's all it has to mean. But it was a sign that woke me up. It made me feel less alone and made me feel like, you know what, maybe I can get through this somehow. And so flash forward to 23 years, 22 years later on my 47th birthday, and I got a confession to make. I really wanted a sign. <laughs> I wanted some sign of my mom's presence. Don't have to figure out where it came from or what it even means. I wanted that sign. Oh, and I didn't get it. Well, I didn't get it in a way that I thought I would get it. I had a lovely birthday. I got more Facebook love than anyone deserves. I had a wonderful day with my wife. I had a friend who said to me, you know, you're always cooking for other people. You come over, I'm going to cook you lunch. And the way back from that lunch, I stopped and I took a, a walk along the Wissahickon Creek near where my wife and I used to live in Chestnut Hill. And if you remember this last Thursday, it was sunny and kind of beautiful, but still cold. But it's one of those days that you can definitely see and sense the signs. Spring is coming. It's on its way. And I was walking along and hearing the song of the birds and feeling my feet underneath me and hearing the brook babbling beside me. And all of a sudden, I felt this profound sense of peace and connection. And the next thing I thought about was someone who I always thought about in connection with my mom. They were kind of peers, roughly. She was a little bit older, and she just died this past year. And I thought about this moment that many of you might recognize. The opening of the Mary Tyra Moore show. She throws her hat in the air to the song, Love is all around. And that's what I felt in that moment. And beyond that, the realization hit suddenly and very clearly that actually I was glad I didn't have a really prescriptive sign of something that pointed directly at my mom. Because actually, when I imagined what my mom would have wanted for me, she would have wanted me to heal back to life beyond her death, to not have my life in the shadow of her death. Anyone who truly loves us does not wish for us to get stuck. True love never wishes for us to get stuck to or on or in the past. And so this is the lesson. It's what we sing when we sing the words, everything is holy now as we do here by Peter Mayer here at Wellspring so often. Because the holy, the sacred, the God of your understanding or the God who has no name for you is bigger and more omnipresent and more abundant 
and explodes, absolutely explodes all of our preconceived symbols and packages and boxes that we want to put it in and invites us here into this life to say, you don't know, I don't know what the holy should look like. And perhaps it looks like nothing. And it is only our capacity to see deeply and to awaken that truly allows us to experience what is sacred. Not yesterday's symbols, not tomorrow's symbols, but the signs of right here and right now of this day. So today, may you see whatever signs are here for you, plentiful or scarce, the signs, the bodies, the words, the images that call you to wake up and to recognize that love is all around us. And may you not just see the sign. May you follow the call of that sign and become a sign of that which you rest your heart upon. May it live in your body and in your words. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? This primal abundance, this holiness that knows no bounds, no specific time, no one set of words, no one language, no one image, but resides within us, is us, lives through us. And yet we cannot take life all at once. We can only take life as now. May we allow ourselves this day to be reachable and teachable and allow ourselves this day to take on more of the form of those things that reveal belovedness, that reveal belonging. May we allow ourselves this day to see the signs to be a sign, and to let our very bodies, our very words, our very being be a representation of what is most true and most good about our lives. Amen.